Okay, Brother Mac, we don't have sisters on site wanting to ask questions. They probably submitted them already. We can go to you now, and you can start with well, however you want, but you can start with the questions you've been emailed or whatever you'd like to say. Okay. <clears throat> okay, okay per, perhaps I'll, I'll start with um, some of the questions that were asked in advance and then if if we if we want to we can we can add more um i'll just i'll just get right into it um one question my friend who is Attending a denomination told me that we would be doing a lot of good things to be a good person in order to go to heaven. This is different from what I've been hearing. What is the best way to respond to this matter? Um, well, this this actually touches on a very basic and central truth of the New Testament that that man man is not justified by works man is justified by faith and this is the um, central uh, revelation of the Reformation in, in the 16th century, you know, during, during the dark ages, which lasted 1000 years from the sixth through the 16th century, the Catholic church taught that man is justified by works, but the Bible does not teach that the Bible teaches that man is justified by faith and in the 16th century with Martin Luther and and others this truth began to be recovered and um, we have to realize that it is not our works we we could never ever do works that would justify us no matter what we did. So this is a matter of justification by faith. Now, the second question here is, I like this question. Whoever wrote this question maybe, maybe thinks a little bit like me. If Satan knows the Bible, he would have read in Revelation how he ends <laughs> and what brings him to an end. Then why would he want the world system to reach its zenith or start the war at Armageddon? Because doesn't that effectively bring him to his end? Yes, of course it does. Of course it does. 
But, you know, this is one of those things that the, the enemy of God is determined to stop and to frustrate the eternal purpose of God. Um, he does know the Bible, but I, I, I would say this. I would say he doesn't believe the Bible. He knows what the Bible says, but he doesn't believe what the Bible says. You and I, we know what it says, and we believe what it says. He just knows what it says. Okay, I go on. Ephesians 2.22, footnote 4 says that our spirit is where the building of the church takes place. How do we reconcile this verse to Ephesians 3.17, where Christ is making his home in our hearts? I was under the impression that Christ making his home in our hearts is the growth in life and the building of the church is by the believer's growth in life. So does the building take place in our spirit or our heart? Very good question. What do you say? Does the building of the church take place in our spirit or in our heart? Well, the answer is that the building of the church takes place initially in our spirit, but ultimately in our heart. In other words, if the building of the church is only in our spirit, it's, it's quite limited. But if the building of the church can reach can reach all the parts of our heart, then the building of the church becomes much greater, much more real, much more meaningful. So in the end, in the end, the answer to this question is that the building of the church takes place both, both in our spirit and our heart, first, first in our spirit, and then in our heart. Okay, I'll read on. Why is it that the third fall of man Jehovah could not tolerate? And he had to wipe out the whole human race. Whereas in the fourth fall, Babylon, the number one enemy of God's enemy, he has put up with until today. So this talks about the third, you know, the fall of man had four stages. And this question is talking about the third and the fourth stage of man's fall. And 
I would say that um, God, God tolerated the fall of man with the view, with the view that he would recover a remnant, a remnant of the fallen man. And that is true in every stage of the fall, including the third stage and the fourth stage. Eventually, what God preserved out of the fourth stage of man's fall was quite a small number of people, very small. So he, 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 he allows man to act according to man's free will and to do according to what man intends to do. But at the same time, he, he maintains a remnant of people, uh, who signify the overcomers who will who will fulfill his divine economy in in every age okay so let me see um ephesians 2:22 footnote 4 says that our spirit is where the building of the church takes place. Oh, sorry, I read that. Okay. Uh, sorry, let me read on. Was the church produced in Christ's resurrection or in his descension when the economical spirit was poured out on the 3,000. Well, the believers, according to 1 Peter 1.3, the believers were all regenerated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You and I... Uh, were actually regenerated on the day that Christ was resurrected. That's first Peter one, three. So in a sense, in a sense, the, um, the, the, the church was born then because the, the believers were regenerated then, but in time, uh, the, the church actually came into being in Acts chapter 2 when this, the economical spirit was poured out upon, uh, here it says the 3,000. Actually, the economical spirit was not poured out upon 3,000. The economical spirit was poured out upon 120. 
Okay, I, re- I read on. The Lord destroys the devil who is in the flesh on the cross. How? Well, <laughs> this is a hard question. This is a, a theological question. And I, and I, and I want to tell you where you can find the best answer to this question. I will give you a short answer, but I will also tell you where to find the best answer. How did the Lord destroy the devil who is on the, who is in the flesh? How did he destroy him on the cross? The best answer to this question is in a book in the ministry that we have called God's New Testament Economy, the, the, red, the red book. And there it describes in great detail, in wonderful detail, how this happened. And I, I just don't have the time in this limited session to go into that. But, but I can tell you, if you read that, you'll see it. You'll see it very, very, very clearly. But in brief, Satan, through the fall of man, injected his fallen life and nature into man. And the Lord came in the likeness of the flesh of sin. He didn't have sin, but he had the likeness of the flesh of sin and crucified that flesh on the cross, thereby destroying the devil thereby destroying the kingdom of the devil, the world. And um, I, I encourage you to read that, that, that section of the ministry, which I just recommended to you, because it, it, it would take me a long time to explain it. So I, I think it's better for me to just refer you to it. Okay, another question, if we, if we have an uneasy feeling regarding a certain situation, how do we discern if it is our conscience bothering us or just our self-righteousness? Or that we have an overly sensitive conscience. And how do we grow out of an overly sensitive conscience? Okay. <laughs> I, I again, I again, I again refer you to a section in the ministry in the book, The Experience of Life. I believe if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's chapter five. It talks about the dealing with the conscience. And what it tells us in that 
chapter is that if 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 you have never gone too far in dealing with the conscience, probably you have not gone far enough. Can you see the point? In other words, we need to deal with our conscience thoroughly. And maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe we will go too far. But it's not a problem to go too far. The problem is to not go far enough. And um, that's what we need to realize with the conscience and um, if you have an uneasy feeling regarding something, just stop. Um, don't analyze so much. Don't, don't try to discern, is this the conscience? Is this my self-righteousness? Is this overly sensitive? Don't do that. Because even if you do it, you won't know the answer. You will not know the answer. So it's not profitable to ask that question. Uh, just go along with that feeling. Okay, I read, I read another question. Titus 1.15 footnote 3 says that if our conscience is defiled, our spirit is unavoidably defiled. But I thought our spirit is the one place that Satan cannot touch, invade. Then how can it be defiled? Well, I, I, this is a very good question. This is a very, very good question. Uh, whoever wrote this, my sister, you have to realize that the conscience is the leading part of the spirit. And it is also at the same time a part of our heart, isn't it? If we know the truth, according to the New Testament, we realize that the conscience actually is a part of both, both our spirit and our heart. Now, the other parts of our spirit being the intuition, um, you know, the intuition cannot be defiled. And the fellowship, which is another part of our spirit, cannot be defiled. But this part, conscience because it is also a part of our heart and not only a part of our spirit it could be defiled it could be and and it and it often is so um that's the reason that um you know, Satan could never attack the fellowship. He could never attack the intuition in our spirit. But he could weaken. He could weaken our conscience through his accusation. 
and all of us have experienced that kind of attack from him. Okay, I read on. Who are qualified as the 144,000 overcomers to bring the Lord back? Do they all need to be living persons or even those who went before us to be counted? Well, I shared this in the last message. The man-child mentioned in Revelation chapter 10, the man-child refers to the overcomers who have passed away before the Lord's second coming. So Brother Nee, Brother Lee, and so many others who passed away, they are included in the man-child. But Revelation chapter 12 talks about the man-child. Revelation chapter 14 talks about the first fruits. And the first fruits are the living, the living overcomers at the time that the Lord will come back. And that's what we hope that you and I can be a part of. We could be part of those first fruits. It, it's a literal number. It's 144,000. May we be part of them. And um, these are the ones who are still alive on the earth at the very time of the Lord's second coming. Okay, I read on. Sometimes when I read the ministry, I wonder how the brothers came to certain conclusions and interpretations of the word. And I find myself questioning everything. When I hear other Christians criticize the ministry, I don't know what to say, because sometimes I'm not clear and convinced myself that the ministry we follow is from the Lord. How are the brothers so faithful to the ministry? Have they seen something that I have missed? Yes. Yes. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you don't like this answer. But the answer is yes. Um to understand the truth in the Bible, to understand the divine revelation, it's not that simple. Um uh, it's something so deep and so profound, it will take our whole life. It will take all of our life to do it. And we need to pursue this for our entire life. And um, 
Yes, some of us are more equipped, perhaps, to do that than others. But I tell you, we need we need to know. We must know what we believe, and we must know why we believe it. All of us, all of us, not just the brothers who minister the word. All of us need to know this. Okay, I I read on. What does it mean that God being resurrection is not emphatic than God being life. I, 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 I don't actually understand this question. I'm not sure what the person is asking. Um, the Lord is resurrection and he is life. And, and they're not exactly the same thing, are they? When the Lord said, I am the resurrection and I am the life, they're actually two different things. When he says, I am the life, he means I am the Zoe life. I am the eternal life. I am the uncreated and indestructible life. I'm the life, I'm the Zoe life. But when he says, I am the resurrection, that's a little different, isn't it? To be the resurrection is not only to be life. It's to be a particular kind of life, which has already past the test of death and overcome death and exists in resurrection. So when Christ is life to us, he's not just life. He's the resurrection. He's the life that overcame death. And this should be, oh, This should be very, very, very good news to us. We have a life that overcame death. We have a life that passed through death. We have a life that death could not suppress. That's the resurrection. That's the resurrection. Okay, I'll read read on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm going very fast, but I, I, I really want to try to respond to your questions. I am a young sister in my early 20s. I'm having difficulty when coming to the Lord. Sometimes I enjoy, sometimes I don't even know if I've touched the Lord and become discouraged and de- demotivated. How do I break through? 
to learn the touch the spirit and not live by my feeling. Well, my sister, um, I tell you that this is both this is both the strength and the weakness of the sisters. You, 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 you really want to um, experience Christ, but at the same time, you look too much for a feeling. And in the Christian life, we walk by faith, not by sight. We, we, Christ makes his home in our hearts through faith. It's altogether a matter of faith. And whether or not we have feeling is secondary. And now I, I sympathize with you. I really do because you told me that you are a, a sister in your early 20s. And when we are young, we depend very much on feeling. But later on, we don't depend at all on feelings. The picture of this is the human life. Um, my my dear wife and I have been married for many, many, many years, more than 40 years. In the beginning, we had lots of feelings. Maybe today, we don't have as many feelings. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because we we have this foundation we have this relationship and this is how it should be with the lord that yes in the beginning we might depend a lot on those feelings later on we will not you have to understand that feelings are not reliable positive or negative feelings are not reliable They may or may not be real. Okay, another question. Is the number, I like this one, is the number 144,000 the number of the living overcomers who will be on the earth at the time of the Lord's second coming? Is this number literal or is it figurative? Ah, maybe it's only me, but probably not because you asked this question. I struggled with this so, so, so much. I said 144,000. Are you kidding me? Exactly? Exactly 144,000? What about 143,994? 
And yet the Bible talks about 144,000. And I just speak to you what the ministry has unveiled to us. Um, both Brother Nee and Brother Lee interpreted the 144,000 living overcomers as a literal number, a literal number. And if you read the life study of Revelation, you read Revelation chapter 14. There, Brotherly says that the 144,000 living overcomers who are the first fruits at the time of the Lord's second coming, it is a literal number, but you have to have this part, but with a symbolic significance. Certainly there's a symbolic significance. Exactly 144,000? Yes, there's a symbolic significance related to the number seven. But nonetheless, Brother Lee and Brother Nee both interpreted the 144,000 as literal. Now, I often share with the trainees, and I'll share with you today, that uh, even if you don't, maybe you don't like this explanation, maybe you say, well, it, uh, it just doesn't sound quite right. I would tell you this. There are 7 billion people on the earth today. 7 billion. How many of them do you think are regenerated believers? Of course, we don't know, do we? We don't know. But what do you think? Out of the seven billion human beings on the earth today, how many are regenerated believers? I don't know. But if you ask me, I will say less than a billion, less than a billion. So let's pick a number. We can pick any number you like. Pick a number you like. 800 million doesn't matter and you divide 144,000 by that number and and what do you derive a very 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 small percentage see this is the point the point is not is the 144,000 literal? Is it figurative? What is it? No, that's not the point. 
the point is, it's a really small number. It's a really small number. Not that many out of the total number of believers on the earth will be those overcomers. May the Lord have mercy on us that you and I are. Okay, now I'm going to read the the last question that uh, I have written to me, and then maybe you will have more. says, my husband is a brother, but recently he's been struggling with his faith. He feels a bit stumbled by how some of the saints behave and feels like the high peak is too high and unachievable. How can I help him? Oh my goodness. Oh, that's a hard question. That's a hard question. Um, According to First and Second Timothy and Titus, these three books, the way that a husband <clears throat> will ever will ever be convinced concerning the truth is by the living of his wife. This is not my word. This is Paul's word. And um, he said, by, by, by the living of his wife, the, the, the husband, even an unbelieving husband, would be convinced to believe in the Lord. So um, this is the basic answer to this question. And that is uh, in, in our marriage life, our, our spouse, our husband, or our wife must see that Christ is lived out. And if Christ is lived out, that will be the convincing factor. There's really no words. There's really no verses. There's really no argument that can be made. But um, no one can argue with a living testimony. If you have a living testimony... That subdues everything. So um, I, I, I believe, brothers and sisters, I believe that I covered the questions that I received in advance. Uh, but we still have time, which means that if, if you have further questions, you, you can ask them. I, I, I answered the ones that I have here on my email, 
but maybe maybe you have more that I, I I did not receive by email. I would be happy to respond to them. So sisters, if you're on Zoom, you can use a raise your hand function and then we will spotlight you and you can ask your question to Brother Mark. So I'm not sure if we have any hands raised. Um, Well, if we don't, um, Brother Mark would really like if you have anything more to share with us. We have another hour. Um, We're very happy to have this time of fellowship. So if you have more to share, um, we'd love to. Oh, there's there's one hand on Zoom. One hand on Zoom. We'll go to the question first. Uh, hey, Father Ma, my question is, you know, last message we're talking about how the Lord uh, bring the uh, fallen stage of the church uh, into the, uh, uh, to help his bride through the Rima word. But I found, you know, in the church really a lack of uh, uh, the Rima word, even in the prophesying meeting. And this made me think, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the, you know, saints need a, a recreation, but I found many times the time can be used on other things, for example, internet or computer game or whatever, YouTubes. I just don't know. Even I, I know that the sister was really upset with the, 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 the husband or oh, no, no fiancé play computer game, even, you know, he's a serving one. And the, the, this brother older, asking an older brother about the condition. And the older brother said, oh, I can play computer game eat also. I, I just think it's, it says, do you have any word towards this situation? <laughs> well, I I would say that um, (laughs) yes, we 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 need we need the Rima word in the prophesying and in 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 the local church, especially in the prophesying because. In the local church, the prophesying is the main speaking of the word. And um, if we are short, if we're short in that prophesying, the church will suffer. It will, because um, there, there's a great need there. You know, the church has two aspects. It has a universal aspect and has a local aspect. And in the universal aspect of the church, we have apostles, prophets, 
evangelists, shepherds, and teachers who perfect the saints. But in the local aspect, we also have prophets and teachers. And if we are lacking that, if we're lacking that in any locality, we're really missing something. We, we, we really are. And um, the saints need that. So we all, we all need to endeavor to, to be such ones. Uh, when we speak in the church meetings, we, we, we must endeavor to, to speak something that will edify the saints. And some of us can do that better than others, but, but we all need to try. We all need to endeavor to do that. It won't be perfect. There will be shortages. Uh, there will be shortcomings in in any in any locality there will be but um that's what we have to do and um i don't i don't know how else to encourage you except to say that if you are in such a situation you have to do your best, do your best to be a factor of life, to be a factor of truth, to speak the word in a pure way that will encourage the saints. I believe the sisters in Honiara have a question. They've raised it. Amen. Uh, yeah, uh, my question is, uh, before I ask the question, I, I was enlightened with the matter of the, the aspect of uh, the church uh, I think the first message uh, Roman says that the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and in one of the points says that in the new Jerusalem, and without precious stones, the new Jerusalem will never come into existence. And then the brother, uh, a matter of how the precious stone, stones come to be. So uh, he gave an example of diamond. And then uh, diamond actually has to pass. In order to become a diamond, the carbon has, a lot, has to pass through a process. And that process is uh, a lot of heat, uh, pressure, and a lot of time. Until it transforms to become the precious stones. So I, I was enlightened, and then I referred to uh, my experience, and it, it gives me a question of uh, 
my question is uh, I have I had an experience that uh, in serving the Lord, um, there were explosions. Was um, <laughs> It feels like a heat, like it feels like the process is heat pressure, and uh, specifically, um, especially serving serving full time. Uh, that means uh, no job, but serve full time on campus, and yeah. But I, I really had a situation. <laughs> question I could not hear but I I think I got the the main point and the main point is that um, you know as, as the Lord is taking us through these experiences of of heat and pressure and time and he's um, pressing us in order to transform us. What 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 shall we do? What what do we do? And you know, I I just I think about Romans chapter eight because Romans chapter eight tells us that God causes all things. To work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And then he goes on to say that nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. And, and he mentions every kind of hardship, uh, 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 nakedness, peril, of sword, peril of war, uh, all, all, all kinds of hardships that would uh, attempt to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, and that none of them will, because God is working. And... Uh, the key, I, I think, to answer your question in a very specific way, I think the key is, you know, Romans 8 tells us we do not know 
for what we should pray as is fitting. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's, I think, uh, Romans 8, 26 or 27. Then verse 34 says that it's Christ at the right hand of God who intercedes for us. And the footnote there on verse 34 says, these are not two intercessions, but one. And the indwelling Christ within us initiates the intercession and the ascended Christ on the throne completes the intercession. And through this kind of prayer, God is causing all things to work together so that we are conformed to the image of the firstborn son of God. And, you know, we look at, we look at everything from our earthly perspective and we say, well, I don't even know what to pray. That's okay. It's okay. That's what Romans 8 says. We don't know what to pray. We groan. We groan with words that cannot even be uttered. And the Lord, the Spirit, the indwelling Spirit, he's he's supplying the words to that groaning. So this is how we go. And it's not the way we, we would choose. We would choose something where we're very aware and we're very clear what we are doing and how it is advancing our purpose. But no, this is not God's way. We, we groan, we groan, and the spirit within us, the indwelling spirit, completes our prayer. And this is how he will bring us on. Not bound and uh, under any law, but <laughs> sorry, Father, can you hear me? I, 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 I'm very sorry. I, I didn't. I did not hear you. Um, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So uh, we know that in the book of Romans that we can do all things because not, we are not under any law. And at the same time, we need to, do, we need to eat and drink anything to glorify God. And my question is, um, if, uh, if I'm with saints that uh, not really uh, speak 
or um, in a meeting. And I feel that when I share, that might stumble them. So should I share or should I not share? <laughs> uh, uh, okay, okay. Um... I I think that um, we need we need every every single gift in the body. We need your gift. We need every gift, and. They're going to be different. Uh, they should be different. This is what Romans chapter 12 tells us and 1 Corinthians 12. These two chapters, they're both 12s. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. They both tell us the gifts are different. And, and we need different gifts. And when you think about yourself, you realize, okay, I, 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 I have some gift, but my gift is one-dimensional. I really, really need all of the other gifts to complete the little bit that I can do. Well, don't despise, don't despise what you can do. What you can do is something that I can never do. I can do what I can do, but I can never ever do what you can do. So we need that gift. So yes, you 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 need to function according to your organic measure that the Lord has given you in the body of Christ. And we need it. We need it. We 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 actually can't live without it. We we must have it. Okay, Brother Mark, we've got some questions that have been asked over Zoom by chat. So I'll just read those questions. All right. The first one is, how do you shepherd the seeking saints? How do you shepherd the seeking saints? Okay. (laughs) You know... um, Among among the saints, there are some who are really seeking to uh, pursue the, the growth in life, to pursue the knowledge of the truth, to pursue the building up of the church. And um, it's... 
it's this kind of saint that I myself very, very much want to contact and, and to fellowship with. And um, the basic principle in caring for the seeking saints is that is that we ourselves must be seeking saints. You will never, ever, ever shepherd a seeking saint unless you are a seeking saint. It's impossible. And I would say even further, you must have progressed in your seeking. You must have progressed so that you can help the seeking saint to go further in their progress. If you're at the same uh, point in your progress as they are, you, 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 you really cannot help them. You have to be at a further point in your progress in order to help them. I, I don't say this to discourage you, but I say it to let you know that this is a fact. We, we can only bring people where we are. We can't bring them beyond where we are, can we? Never. So I think that is the the short answer. You know, I have a long answer, but I think that's the short answer to that question. Maybe. Thank you, Brother Mike. Um, another one on uh, like a different topic. In Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore prudent as serpents and guileless as doves. Can you share your testimony? How do you practice it in your daily life to speak gospel to unbelievers, please? Mm. Okay. Um, well, I'll share a little bit. Um, when I became a believer in Christ, at, at as a university student, the brothers who shepherded me, they immediately brought me into the gospel. And when I say immediately, I mean, the day after I received the Lord, they had me out preaching the gospel. And uh, they, uh, they told me, they said, well, just come with us. Come with us. We're going to preach the gospel. You don't have to say anything. Just come with us. So I went with them. But after we talked to two or three people, then they told me, they said, now you have to speak. And I told them, 
you told me I didn't need to say anything. They said, yes, we told you that. We lied. You have to speak something. So the next person that we spoke to, I had to say something. And I, I, I spoke just according to what I had heard the brothers speak. I knew nothing. I'd only been saved one week. I, I had no knowledge. I had no knowledge, none. I just spoke according to what the brothers spoke. And you know what happened? People got saved. <laughs> People got saved. You know, when you're a new believer and you're speaking the gospel, it's so irresistible. People get saved and it happened. And uh, I got addicted to preaching the gospel. I mean, I loved it. I loved it more than anything else. And the brother who preached the gospel to me, he and I, we became gospel companions. And we made a, a covenant. We made a pact. We said, we will never, ever go to the campus without preaching the gospel. We won't do it. In other words, we will preach the gospel every day, every day. And you know what? We did. And today, uh, my dear, my dear brother, who I love so much, who preached the gospel to me, he's in his late 60s i'm in my mid 60s and we preach the gospel every single day on the <laughs> campus and it was our it was our joy it was our enjoyment it was our pleasure to do that and um i just wish i just wish you know, John 15, when it talks about fruit bearing, it mentions joy, that your joy, that your joy may be made full. Fruit bearing is a matter of joy. We, we've got to experience that. We have to experience the joy. I, I did. I experienced that joy and I was like, oh, that's the greatest joy. I just want to do that again and again and again and again. You know, in the human life, the picture of that is the bearing of children. Now, I only have two natural children. I, 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 I begot two lovely daughters. But I'm happy, I'm very happy to tell you, I begot a lot more spiritual children, a lot more. Mm. What a joy. What a joy.
that our joy may be made full. Amen. Amen. Here's another question about shepherding. How to follow the Lord to shepherd a certain one? To shepherd according to revelation rather than according to need. I was asked by some sisters to look after a certain new one who is who has been looked after already by five other sisters. However, I have the sense there are a few other working sisters that are on my heart who need more care and mutual shepherding. With my limited capacity and tight schedule, would I just need to ask the Lord on this matter regarding how to shepherd according to God? Okay, very good, very good. There are two questions here. One one is... One question is, how do we shepherd according to God? The other question is, how do we know who to shepherd? If I understand the question correctly, I, I would, I would, I would divide it into these two questions. So let's take them one at a time. Um, how do we shepherd according to God? Um, oh, not so easy. Not so easy. We have to, um, to shepherd according to God. <laughs> We have to be God in life and nature, but not in the Godhead. We, 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 we have to be one with him. And, um, we shepherd people, but a lot, a lot of our shepherding is natural. I, I know some saints who, Oh, they really have a heart. They really have a heart to help others. But it's a hundred percent natural. So they're like, Oh, you need a job. I'll help you get a job. You need a house. I'll help you get a house. You need this. I'll help you get that. Well, that, 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 that's good. That's good. I, I don't despise that. But where's God? Where's God? So this is the first point is, can we, can we shepherd according to God and not just according to our human uh, care, our human uh, uh Kindness, that's the first thing. Can we do that? And um, uh, we have to learn to do that. We have to learn to do that. And I'm sorry, I forgot the second part. What was the second part? The second part... um... The second part was about who to shepherd, 
Ah, so, yes. Thank you. Thank you. The second part is who to shepherd. And here I would like to refer you. I would like to refer you to Luke chapter two. Well, uh, maybe not Luke two. Um, Gospel of Luke, prob- maybe not chapter two, but the night, the night before the Lord called the 12 disciples. Luke records that he spent the whole night in prayer to God. In other words, he, he, he asked the father, who, who, who am I going to spend my time on? I am a man. I, I'm living in time and space. I don't, I'm not living in eternity. I don't have unlimited resources. I, I have to allocate my time. Who should I spend my time with? And the father gave him 12. And how do we know that? We know it from John 17. In John 17, when the Lord prayed, He told the father, he said, of all those that you, that you gave me, I did not lose one except the son of perdition, who was Judas. So in other words, you put these two portions together from Luke and John, and you realize The father was the one who directed the son. He said, spend your time. Spend your time on these 12. And really, it wasn't 12, was it? It was really 11. And and I would say further, it really wasn't 11. It was three. It was Peter, James, and John. And, you know, the picture of this, the picture of this in the human life is the human family. We don't see families with 20 children. You know why? No one has that capacity. No one. Now, my, my dear mother had nine children. That's a pretty big capacity, uh, but still, it's only nine. And, um, you know, when the father committed the disciples to the Lord, he committed 12, but he especially committed three, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were really the three who the Lord perfected in a very, very, very fine and detailed way in his human ministry. And that means that that's a guideline for us, dear saints. Um, Don't think you can perfect a hundred people. The Lord didn't. In three and a half years, he perfected three people, 
three. So I think that's a, that's a good expectation for us. Amen. Okay, another sister has a question. Could you share your experience as a father in raising children in the church life to choose the Lord and the church as opposed to pushing them away from the Lord and the church? Oh, okay. Well, what a wonderful question. What a wonderful question. Um, dear saints, we have to realize that every human being, every single human being created by God has a free will. And whether or not a person may be saved it's 100% according to their free will. They have to choose it. They have to choose it. You absolutely cannot choose it for them. No matter how much you want to, no matter how much you wish you could, you cannot. So... A, a, a child, our, our children, our children must choose with their own free will. They must make a conscious decision with their free will that they will be saved. They, they have to. We cannot do that for them. Likewise, they have to decide, and only they can decide. Will they live their life in the church life? Will they do that? Well, of course we want them to. Of course we want them to. I want my, my children to do that. But can I make it happen? No. They have to choose that. They have to choose that. So um, this is a problem that all of us parents face. And I would say um, as parents, we have two main responsibilities as I've already said, we cannot choose for our children. No, no matter how much we wish we could, we can't. So forget about that. You cannot do it. So we have two other responsibilities that we can do. And, and, and these are the only things we can do. And what are they? Number one, we need to live the life 
that we want our children to live. We need to set up a pattern of what we hope they would do. We hope they would read the Bible. We better, they better see us reading the Bible. We hope they would go to the meetings. They better see us go to the meetings. We have to actually live the life that we hope that they would live. This is the pattern. This is the number one thing that we can do as parents. And then secondly, we can pray that the Lord will make our children a a vessel of mercy, a vessel of honor, a vessel unto glory, according to Romans 9. Um, That's up to his sovereignty. God has his part in this, and he decides that. He decides that. Well, we can pray. So we can set up a pattern and we can pray. These are the two things as parents that we can do to help our children. Amen. How to usher the saints who are ready to be in a vital group? Okay, uh, concerning, concerning the vital groups, um, you know, uh, I've studied this a lot and, and, and there are two sides. On the one hand, there's a very, very organic, uh, aspect to the vital groups, which is that we should pray and we should ask the Lord, Lord, who, who would you join me to organically for, uh, this purpose? And my wife and I did this many, many years ago. Um, we we really endeavored before the lord to to find out lord is is there a couple is there a family that you would join us to that we could have this kind of vital group and i'm happy to tell you the lord gave us he gave us somebody um On the other hand, the church may make some arrangement. The church may make some provision, some suggestion, which we could follow, whether whether it may be by geography or by other uh, criteria, but the church may make a, uh, a suggestion, then we should follow that. But 
the basic principle is this. The basic principle is we should really pray, Lord, first and foremost, first and foremost, before anything else, make me, make me a vital person. I have to be vital. I don't need to seek out anyone to be vital. I need to be vital. I must be vital. I must confess my sins. I must deal with my shortcomings. I must grow in life. I must be vital. Once I am vital, I can be joined to a vital companion, to a vital group. So it begins with, it begins with us. It begins with us. And this is how we should pray. This is how we should seek the Lord. Then after we have pursued the Lord individually, we need to ask him, Lord, grant me. Grant me a vital companion. There must be another one who we can be vital together. And I just testified to you, I practiced this um, 30 years ago. I practiced this. And, And the Lord answered this prayer. He did. He answered it. Why? Because he wants to. It's what he wants to do. You you ask him to do what he wants to do, he does it. Amen. 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 Okay, another question, Brother Mark. <clears throat> I have a situation where I was asked as a woman in leadership to share what International Women's Day means to me. It doesn't mean anything to me. As a believer in the Lord and knowing where the source is Babylon, how do I respond or approach this, given this is very important to my organization that I participate in this? (laughs) Oh, what a great question. We we run into... uh, these kind of situations all the time, don't we, in the world. The worldly concept concerning these things is so, so, so different than the divine concept. And I I, I don't have a... Um, a very specific answer to this question, but I can tell you, I, I really understand it. I, I I was in, because I was in the business world for many years, I was in this kind of situation many times. And I, I always... T- 
I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not recommending this and I'm not promoting this, but I always took the opportunity to say something that no one expected to hear. I would say something concerning the Lord and concerning his economy. And um, obviously that did not make me popular, but I didn't care. Uh, I, I really don't know what to tell you except to say that my sister, we have to be faithful to what we are. Who cares? Who cares what the world wants? Who cares what their expectations are? We have to be faithful to what we are. Uh, how much we should say and how far we should speak, I don't know. I don't know. The Lord has to lead you. But we don't we don't need to conform to the world's expectations. We really don't. Amen. 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 Another one about the vital groups. How do we endeavor to have the vital groups when we are in a small locality and don't really have elders or ones to be trained by? What is a vital group? How do we as volunteers give ourselves to take this way? Okay. Very, very, very good question. Um, you know, the beauty, the beauty of the vital groups, the, the great thing about this way of practicing the church life is that it, it is entirely scalable. So we can practice it with two saints and we can practice it with 200 saints. This is the beauty of it. And if we get into the ministry regarding the vital groups, uh, we realize it, it works with a very, very, very small number. Actually, you just need two. One is not enough, but two is enough. As long as you have two, you have enough. And you can, you can practice the vital groups with two until they grow, until they propagate, until they spread, until they multiply. And um, you really don't need... Um, uh, in this, in this case, you don't need elders. You don't need people to tell you how to do it. You, you just need the ministry and you just need to practice that to come together as a vital group and to bear fruit, to grow, to multiply and, um, it, 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 it will work. It will work anywhere. It will work in any place and it will work with any number of people. Yeah. 
Amen. 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 Thank you, Brother Mark. Um, another question. I have been praying for this one sister who has problem in her marriage and has been very stumbled by the elders. She tried to fellowship, but according to her, they were not willing to reach out to her and her husband. I feel sad for her situation and concerned for her negative feeling towards the elders. Is there anything else I can do to take care of her? I don't want to get involved in her marriage, and I would like to pray for her, but she seems to be in dire need to want some contact or shepherding from the saints. She was telling me how no one cares for her in the church, but many around her from denominations have reached her. I'm concerned she might leave the church because of this. Yeah, okay, okay. So here, here is a problem that we encounter quite frequently in the church life because we are dealing with human beings we 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 quite often encounter problems regarding marriage and um it's very complicated because you know the saints the husband and the wife, they're both saints, aren't they? They both are are people who are in the church life. And we never, ever want to um, take sides. We never want to say, oh, the husband is right, the wife is wrong, or the wife is right. The husband is wrong. We never want to do that because, number one, we don't know. We don't know. Um, If you have any experience at all in the marriage life, you know that you really don't know. No one knows, no one knows what goes on in a marriage life other than the husband and wife. No one, no one. Even if they tell you, you still don't know. So we we shouldn't approach it that way, that we'll just find the facts and we'll adjudicate and we'll find out who's right and who's wrong. No, no. You, you, you will almost certainly be wrong. So what do we do? What do we do when the saints encounter marriage difficulties? Well, I would say number one, We never encourage the saints to divorce. We don't encourage divorce. God hates divorce. We don't need a lot of revelation to know that God hates divorce. Don't, don't encourage divorce. And don't encourage separation. God hates that as well. 
we always look towards a reconciliation. Now, I know, I've been around a long time. I know sometimes that's not going to happen. I know that. I know that. But from our point of view, as those who are shepherding the saints, that's always what we want. We want reconciliation. We want oneness. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But that's, that's what we have to encourage. Always, always. Because this matches God's thought and God's desire. And then if, if people divorce, if people separate, It's another question altogether. Then it becomes a question of how do we shepherd them? How do we care for them? Um, How do we give them a way to go on? That's another question. But before that happens, we would never, we would never encourage that. Okay, the last question we had by chat. If we only have a limited amount of time, how should we prioritize in terms of getting into the ministry? Do we finish all the life studies first, then the collective works of Witness Lee from the last volume to the first volume, and then to the collective works of Watchman Nee? Or should we just get into the ministry related to the seven feasts, which seem to take up most of the year? Oh, 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 I, lo- I love this question. I-, I-, I cannot tell you how much I love this question. Um, and Andrew already knows exactly what I'm going to say. Um, my sisters, the the way that we should pursue the truth is... Um, in the way of priority, because I, I look, 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 just look behind me on my background. You can see many books, but you don't even know how many books I, I, I have. I have like I have five thousand books here. How how do you how do you prioritize that? How do you uh, 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 determine what you should do. Well, I would like to make a suggestion to you. It is only a suggestion because it's just my understanding and it could be wrong. I'm, I'm not an expert, but I will give you my my understanding and maybe it could be helpful to you you know when we look at the pursuit of the truth we have to look at it in the way of priority because 
There's too much. There's too much. There's a hundred thousand pages. Are you going to read all of them? Now, I'm cra- I'm crazy. I've read all of them, but you know, I had I had fifty years to do it. So, you know, forget about that. We have to prioritize. We have to say what just in case, just in case I don't finish, what's the most crucial? Well, what do you say? I say the most crucial thing, if you, if you only have time to do one thing, what should you do? Read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. Read the recovery version. Everything is there. A hundred percent of the truth is in the Bible. A hundred percent. Everything you need is there. If you never, ever do anything else, read the Bible. Everything is there. The Bible is the truth. The truth is the Bible. So start there. That's the foundation. And then the second thing I would say is if you have more time and if you have more capacity and if you have more hunger, Get into the current, the current ministry, meaning the seven feasts. And why do we say that? We say that because, because, and the brothers put up a a lovely uh, uh, graphic here to show this. The, the current ministry represents all of the ministry, all of it. You know, tonight or, or, or earlier today, we had a message from uh, the Glorious Church, was, which was released by Brother Nee in the 1930s. When you get into the current ministry, the present ministry, you actually get into the entire body of the ministry because the current ministry draws from the entire body of the ministry. So that would be the second priority. The third priority is the latter part, the very, very latter part of Brother Lee's ministry, which it shows here on this this graphic. 
the years 1993 to 1997, I have to tell you, dear saints, that this is actually the curriculum of the full-time training. Everything, everything we share in the full-time training is that. It's the, it's the high peak truth from 1993 to 1997. So that's the next priority after uh, the current ministry. Then the next priority would be the New Testament life studies. Why do I say the New Testament? Well, because you might not finish all of them. And if you don't finish all of them, the New Testament is more important than the Old Testament. So start with the New Testament and finish the New Testament life studies. And then... If you finish the New Testament life studies, blessed are you, you can go to the Old Testament. Hallelujah. And if you finish all of those, then you go to the what I call the topical ministry, the topical ministry which is uh, ministry related to certain topics. That's, that's where you find the collected works of Watchman Nia Witness Lee. It's quite far. It's quite far up the, uh, up the chain of the things we should study. So, um, I don't, I don't say this as a, uh, a teaching. I just, I say it as fellowship. But if you ask me, that's how, that's how I think it is. And, um, that means that the collected works are far up the, uh, they're far up the chain. You actually don't want to start there. Start, start with the basics and then work your way up to there. Amen. Uh, Brother Mark, we have one more question. Genesis one twenty six mentions us and ours. Was the author of Genesis fully understanding of the triune God? The answer must be yes. Hence it is written, so the triune God existed before Jesus became a God-man, before his death and his resurrection. So I think the question is, um, did the triune God exist before yes, Jesus yes. became a God-man, before his death and his resurrection? Yes, yes. Well, a- a- absolutely, absolutely. In eternity past... God was triune. John 1 1 says, in the beginning, the Word 
was with God and the word was God. This beginning in John 1.1 refers to eternity. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. God already was triune. He was the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in eternity. And um, he never existed without being triune. And in time, when he manifested himself in his economy, he was always triune. And in eternity future, he will continue to be always triune. One last question. Um, (laughs) What is the relationship between the current ministry and the Lord's return? And the coming of the Lord? Well, hmm. What an interesting question. What 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 an interesting question. I I I believe and and forgive me, I, I just I, I just I I just speak uh, openly and honestly. I I believe that the ministry that comes out today in the Lord's recovery is um, very, very much related to the present world situation. I think so. I I think so. Uh, So I think they match. I think what the Lord releases in the ministry today is uh, a a kind of um I, I don't know if you want to call it a response but a kind of a kind of a um match to the current world situation and this is why I said that I believe the word that the Lord is releasing today concerning the end of the age, concerning the coming of the kingdom, concerning the um, preparation of the bride. I, I, I believe that this is happening. This is happening. And, um, uh, if it were not happening, why why would the Lord be speaking these things? And I, I just speak to you as one. I'm I'm a I'm a small member, but I speak to you as one involved in the ministry of the Word. That um. It's not a light thing. It's not a light thing. If the Lord is speaking concerning the end of the age, concerning the preparation of the bride, 
concerning the building up of the body, concerning the warrior to defeat his enemy. It means we're, we're at that, we're at that point. He didn't speak these things before, but he's speaking these things now, which means that is where we are. Isn't it wonderful? What a time. What a time that you and I live in.